Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. What makes our lives worth living? The writer of Ecclesiastes is most known for writing in chapter 1 that all things are vanity. Or more accurately in the Hebrew, the word chabel means all things are vapor. They slip through our hands. There's nothing worth holding on to, but that's not where the book stops. The rest of that chapter and the next all lead up to this point right here in chapter 3, where the author had been going through all that man does in his life, and he's saying that it's all futile. Nothing we can gain for ourselves is worth the time and the effort that we put into it. So what is worth it? What's worth it? He finally gets to that point right here. He answers it in chapter 3. Life is worth it when we enjoy what is given to us by God, and we enjoy these things for God. Life is worth it when when we enjoy what is given to us by God, and we enjoy these things for God. And this passage today shows us that God has given us three things to enjoy, and these will be our three points. God has given us, one, beauty, two, eternity, and three, joy. So that's one, beauty, two, eternity, and three, joy. First, beauty. Have any of you ever seen the show Bluey? Yeah. Bluey is an Australian children's show and has gained major popularity over the past few years, and I think for good reason. It's one of those shows that's made for children, but really it's also made for the parents who are forced to watch it with their children. A few months ago, one of the youth told me about it, and I decided to check it out and give it a try, and I very quickly fell in love with the show. It's hard not to. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, And if you haven't seen it and you are a parent of a young kid or really anybody, I highly recommend watching it. And there's this one episode I watched called Born Yesterday. And in that episode, the dad bandit, and they're all dogs, by the way, that's why his name's Bandit, Um, but the dad bandit is talking with his daughters, Bingo and Bluey, and he explains to them the phrase, I wasn't born yesterday. And the girls are enthralled with that phrase. They think it's hilarious. It wasn't born yesterday. And so they decide to play a game. And they say, Dad, you're going to pretend like you were born yesterday. And so the whole rest of the episode, the dad pretends as if it's his second day on earth. And the girls have to spend the day teaching him manners and teaching him about everything. Right? Imagine it was your second day on earth. You know pretty much nothing. And at one point, Bandit, the dad, sits out in the backyard, and he's afraid of the sun, right? Because he's never seen it before. But he warms up to it, and he, he picks up a leaf, and he holds it up, and he's looking at the leaf with the sun behind it, and he's noticing the veins that go through it and its vascular structure, and he is amazed at the beauty of this leaf. There is beauty all around for someone who was born yesterday. And in our passage today, the author of Ecclesiastes says that he knows what it is that God has given for man to do, what our God-given business is. And at his start, he says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. What this means is that God ultimately works all things together to be beautiful according to his own time frame 
and not ours. God has a desire and has mandated that beauty be the end of all things. The crucifixion of Christ is only beautiful when we understand the whole story and we see the resurrection of Christ. God works our existence and all existence into beauty. All that we do not understand this side of recreation of the world will seem beautiful in hindsight only because we finally understand that God was working all things together for beauty. He was working all things together for the good of those who love him. God values beauty and he desires us to value it as well. And he doesn't make this too difficult. This past summer, our high school youth group got to go to Colorado together. Uh, we do it every summer, but on the last day, we got to do something new. We got to go to Rocky Mountain National Park. And if you've never been, I highly recommend it. If the altitude doesn't take your breath away, then the views absolutely will. But I remember mentioning to Steph how God did not really have to make our world so beautiful, right? It does not have to be as beautiful as it is. But the fact that he did shows us that God values beauty. You cannot look at the natural beauty of the national parks as a believer and then not force you to be in awe of the majesty of God's creation. David in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God has filled our world with beauty. We can see it. Whether it's the afterglow of a sunset on the beach, holding a newborn baby and seeing God's masterwork of life, God's beauty reflected through the movies and the books and the beauty of a story well told. The beauty of a sky full of stars at night or the wonder of beautiful buildings or works of art in a museum. The intricate design of animals who live in climates all over the world. The beauty of a fresh snowfall, of a choir concert or a full orchestra, of the sound of rainfall or wind blowing through trees. God has filled this world with beauty. And he's made us in his image so that we might admire this beauty as well. We also enjoy it. We, when we admire a work of art, we praise the artist. We admire our creator by admiring his world. So point one of beauty, when we live to value God's beautiful world, we value God. It's a part of living. Point one, when we live to value God's beautiful world, we value God. Which leads us to point two, which is eternity. In one of the most interesting parts of today's passage, the author of Ecclesiastes writes in verse 11, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There are two aspects of eternity mentioned here. The first is that God has put eternity into our hearts. We are eternal creatures. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For those of us who believe, there is eternal life. God has placed the desire for eternity into our hearts, but what does that mean? It means that we cannot live as if one day we die and then it's all over. Death is not the end. We cannot live as if our actions do not have consequences, as if the way we treat people does not matter. That way of living is for the non-believer, it's for the nihilist. 
C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, says it like this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. As those with eternity in our hearts, we live with purpose. The friends we make, the personalities that we develop, the sanctification that we experience, all the knowledge that we learn, it all has eternal purpose. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Barry said it earlier, even our suffering is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that mindset changes things. It has to. Right When we understand that our lives have a purpose that does not end at our death and our understanding of purpose and meaning changes, because God has put eternity into our hearts, we long for eternity and we live as those who are eternal. And the second aspect of eternity in this passage is when the author writes, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. At its core, even though we are eternal, eternity is a foreign concept to us. In fact, one recurring thing that I've noticed about Christians, especially if you grew up as a Christian, is that many of us had a similar experience when we learned about the new heavens and the new earth. Get a little bit nervous. Eternal life? Meaning no end? Forever? Has anyone ever had a little bit of an internal crisis, maybe a little bit of anxiety about that thought? We cannot imagine existence with no end because we are creatures at this moment who are bound by time. We understand beginnings and we understand ends, but we don't really understand forever. Only God understands eternity because God was the one who created time. He's not bound by it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls it the mystery. It's a mystery how the dead will be raised imperishable and the mortal body will put on immortality. How is it done? We have no idea. But we do know that God does it. We cannot understand or determine the works of God across time, but we know that God does work all things together for, to be beautiful, for the good of those who love him. We trust in his promise that we will live forever with him, even if that concept scares us just a little bit. He is God, and we are not, and we must rest in that fact. So how do these two matters of eternity teach us how to live? Well, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says it this way, life can only be understood by looking backward, but it must be lived looking forward. When you understand that God has elected you to live forever with him, it means that you cannot live as if this life is all there is. All we do in our lives echo throughout eternity. We look forward with eternal purpose. You have eternal purpose. 
point to eternity, we live with renewed eternal purpose and eternal trust in God's mysterious work. So point one, beauty. When we live to value God's beautiful world, we value God. And point two, eternity. We live with renewed eternal purpose and eternal trust in God's mysterious work. Which leads us to our final point, point three, joy. In verses 12 through 13 of our passage, the author of Ecclesiastes writes, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. After surveying all that man does in his life, we read here that the author of Ecclesiastes has found through God's wisdom that man does have a purpose. Man does have a life worth living. It's one full of joy, one full of doing good, and enjoying the pleasures of the world that God has given us. It even says that these things are God's gift It's God's gift to us. It's God's gift to man that taking a joyful pleasure in the act of living is a gift that our good Father has given us. I think one of the best ways to think about this is the human propensity to throw parties, right? Parties make very little sense if we're just soulless animals hoping to make it to the end of the day and not die. Parties are simply for the purpose of enjoying life, to eat, to drink, to laugh, birthday parties, baby showers, holiday get-togethers with family and friends, and I think most particularly, weddings. I believe that Jesus actually shows us this way of living in one of the most famous weddings of all time. In John 2, we read how Jesus attended a wedding, and as the wedding went on, the party had run out of wine, which in that day, and probably even today, is a terrible thing to happen to a wedding. And in his first miracle that we read of, Jesus, at the request of his mother, turns six jars of water into wine. And I'm not sure if any of you have ever done the math, but that's 180 gallons of good wine. I heard Pastor Ricky Jones at River Oaks say one time at a lunch that if you bring 180 gallons of wine to a party, you are the party. And this story is magnified even more when we read that it was the bridegroom who was supposed to supply the wedding with wine. Jesus, throughout Scripture, and even explicitly in Revelation 19, is called the bridegroom of the church. In Matthew 22, Jesus compares his kingdom to a wedding feast, an eternal party. Both in his life on earth and our lives in eternity, Jesus supplies, supplies us not only with what is needed, but also gifts us that with we, which we can enjoy. And again, in 1 Timothy 6.17, we read that Paul says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. When we receive a gift, really any gift, it's right and good that we use and appreciate it. Well, God has given us not only the gift of life, but expects us to enjoy it and to use it and to appreciate it. And this is different than hedonism. And I know some of you might have been thinking that, what's, what's the difference between these two things? It sounds a lot like hedonism. If you don't know, hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, but as an end of itself, pleasure for the sake of pleasure. 
But enjoying life biblically is respecting God's gift to us. It's enjoying beauty not for what it provides you, but for who it points you to. It's enjoying the pleasures of life not for what they provide you, but that it points you to God, the one who made life beautiful and enjoyable. Point three, joy. It's not simply a recommendation that we enjoy life. It's an expectation of Scripture. So point one, to recap, was beauty, when we live in God's beautiful world, we value God. Point two, eternity, we live with renewed eternal purpose and eternal trust in God's mysterious work. And point three, it's not simply a recommendation that we enjoy life, but it's an expectation of Scripture. Let me ask then, what is keeping you from enjoying the life that you're living? I want to say here that there are many who struggle with mental health, such as anxiety or depression, or those who deal with chronic pain and suffering. And these things can make enjoying life extremely tough, if not impossible sometimes. And my prayer and our prayer as a church is that you find healing in God's hands. For others of us, though, life can simply feel like a repeated cycle of getting up in the morning and trying to find the least painful or stressful way to get back in bed at the end of the day. Life has little joy for some of us. Others have boiled down our existence into simply earning money and staring at various sizes of screens in a 24-hour period. And we boiled our faith life down into avoiding suffering and trying to avoid sin, and that's it. But our lives are not just behavior management. That's a sad way to think about life. We have a higher calling of actually learning how to live, to enjoy the gift of life that God has given us. And now some of you may even be thinking, Nathan, this sermon is entirely too naive. Nathan, don't you know how difficult life can be? Don't you know how dark it can be? War, death, heartbreak, poverty, pain? Yeah, I know. And that's why I think sermons like these actually need to be preached more. Many of us have forgotten how to enjoy the gifts of life that we've been given because of the darkness around us. And sometimes we need a reminder that there is something good about this life that we live, that God is good despite the bad. At the end of the Bluey episode, Born Yesterday, after the day of playing and pretending it all comes to an end, and the dad goes back to being an adult. And Bluey and Bingo, the two daughters, are laughing about the, uh, you know, the joy of having to teach their dad all about the world when they realize they have no idea where their dad went. And the last shot of the episode pans out to the backyard where the dad, fully as an adult, is sitting there staring at the leaf with the sun in the background, enjoying the beauty of it. I love that ending. He's under no obligation to act as if he was born yesterday. He simply had rediscovered the beauty in the world around him. What would it look like for us to rediscover beauty? To rediscover what it looks like to live a life? Consider the ways in which you can appreciate God's beauty this week. Maybe it's taking a walk out in nature and thanking God for the beautiful world around you. What would it look like for us to rediscover eternity? 
Think on whether you live as someone who treats their body and their relationships as finite. Do you live with a hope that death is not the end? How might living like that and trusting in God's providence change your life? And finally, what would it look like to rediscover enjoying the pleasures of life? Maybe this week or sometime soon, you plan a game night with your family. You cook a good meal and you actually take the time to sit down and enjoy it. You ask a friend to go to dinner to enjoy their company. You show up to community group and you enjoy the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ. God has given us a gift in this life that we live. It's a shame to waste it. And though there is ugliness in the world, God has made beauty abound. And though there is death, God has made you to live forever. And though there is suffering, God has filled our lives with pleasures to enjoy that point us to him. For all these things we owe God, for all these things we thank God, and through all these blessings we enjoy God. Let's pray.